Amen. Thank you very much. And in the spirit of prayer, I want to invite you after the service, after we have concluded and uh, have pronounced the benediction, if you have a specific prayer concern or a need, uh, please come up here. I'm going to ask our elders and Rachel and uh, those to be here and available to you. If you'd like to share a prayer request, we would like to be able to pray with you about that. So please know that's available at the end of the service. In the meantime... Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Today we have come to Luke chapter 6 and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 in our wonderful journey through this gospel account written by the beloved physician and reminding you about the good news that we have in the Lord Jesus and what a joy it is to be able to proclaim him in your presence. So let's read together or otherwise listen as I read God's word beginning in Luke chapter 6 beginning with verse 1. On a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read that David, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with them. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. We'll ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word as we give him praise for it. Amen. The General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America was meeting in a large city as we typically do in uh, June of each year. I have been to every one since 1993. And I keep thinking one of these days I'll figure out what's going on there if I keep going. Because on Tuesday will be the 30th anniversary of my ordination to gospel ministry. I don't know where the time has gone. Which also means that in March, Kathy Womack will have been married to me for 30 years. That's a wonder of wonders. If you ever doubt God's grace, just remember she's been able to do that. You can do anything. But as our General Assembly was meeting in this particular large city, one of our pastors who found himself in a taxi was talking to the driver. And he asked him, said, have you picked up any of us for this General Assembly? And he said, oh, yeah, I've had quite a few of you guys in this car. And he said, well, what do you know about our denomination? He said, well, you tell me, what do I need to know about your denomination? And the man said, well, I'll tell you. He said, we believe this world is a mess, but God has loved the world and he's given his only begotten son that Whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we believe. And the man said, you know, that's something. He said, you're the first man in this car all day long who has told me what you're for. He said, the rest of them have told me everything you're against. You know, there's something to be said for that as we think of who we are and what we're for. Because we see the Lord Jesus Christ encountering religious experts who were experts in things that people are to be against. It was on a Sabbath. That meant it was the seventh day of the week. It meant that it was a Saturday, according to our calendar. A day that God had appointed even from the time of creation. A day that was to be set apart for rest. To remember how that the Lord had created all things in the space of six days and all very good. But he rested on the seventh day. I wonder who was willing to say that from a pulpit today and not wince and think of how that may sound in the eyes or ears of unbelievers. But even so, God had set apart that day of the week to rest. And he had ensconced it in the Ten Commandments. Saying, on six days you shall do all your labor, but the seventh is his, and on it you shall do no work. And so, majoring on what ought not be done on that day, those religious experts were watching the Lord Jesus as he was making his way with his disciples through the grain fields. Now, understand that they were such experts in this law that with regard to this one particular commandment, They not only believed or professed to believe what the scripture said concerning it, but they had extrapolated from that commandment and had derived 39 further articles about what ought not be done on that day. And under each of those articles, another six categories for each on what people ought not do on the Sabbath day. That's how expert they were. And so here were the disciples going through, picking off heads of grain, According to their extrapolation of the commandment, that was considered reaping. And then they even added to that infraction by rubbing those grains together in their hands. Oh, that was threshing, according to their understanding. And so these disciples were guilty of working on the Sabbath, according to them. And they were waiting for such a moment, waiting to find some means of catching the Lord Jesus and his followers and doing something that they shouldn't be doing. But in their majoring on what ought not to be done, they had failed to focus on what ought to be done. And so Jesus pointed them out to another scripture, the one that Rachel read earlier and that has been referred to here when David, once upon a time in the days when he was having to hide from Saul, found himself quite hungry and he went to the tabernacle, and there in the tabernacle, right outside the Holy of Holies, he knew was a table that had upon it the bread of the presence, or otherwise known as the showbread. King James Version, S-H-E-W, showbread. And he knew that that bread was placed there, and it was for the priests, and he knew it was to be replaced on the Sabbath day. That's the day the priest could eat it, and then fresh hot bread would take its place. And so he asked of the priest, the one who was in authority, the one who had the ability to to distribute this bread if he and his men couldn't have some. And he was given permission for that. Now, that completely blows apart those 39 articles and their 
subsequent subcategories that the Pharisees had developed. And so Jesus points them to Scripture. You see, obsession over legal requirements is always inconsistent and counterproductive. By majoring on what ought not to be done, they lost sight of what ought to be done. And so it was inconsistent. It was counterproductive. And we can find ourselves majoring on rules and regulations and being guilty of the same thing. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? They asked. But Jesus responded by saying, have you not read? (laughs) Have we not read? Well, we're the experts in the things of Scripture. Of course we've read. It's one thing to have read, but have you heeded? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it, in verse 9? That's the broader question, isn't it? What ought we be doing? We can so focus on things we ought not to do that we lose sight of the things that we could do that would be helpful, that would be glorifying to God, that would serve others. Is there not the royal law which decrees, of course, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself? The Pharisees were so concerned about finding something that Jesus and his followers were doing wrong that they failed to ask themselves the question, if in fact these men were hungry, how could we help them? In their zeal for certain parts of Scripture, they had ignored other parts. And that's what we tend to do. I would challenge you, anyone, anytime you find someone, or even when you examine yourself for these legalistic tendencies, if you don't find that there are always things that we want to major on and then we forget about other things. There's no way that we can be so attentive to all of the law at once, that we can observe every aspect of it. It simply is impossible. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. Because the Bible tells us if we offended one part of that law, we have broken all of it. It's possible to be a professional noticer. How do you like the way I'm using modern language there? If I wasn't supposed to be humble, I'd be proud of myself for doing that. Be it a professional noticer. And they completely overlooked what mattered most. I mean, after all, here's the Messiah in their presence. Here is the Son of God. A cause for rejoicing and celebration. And yet here they're worried about these disciples plucking off some heads of grain and rubbing them and eating them. So we must be careful with regard to all of this. Jesus asked, have you not read... And he took the time to school them in these moments. As David had eaten of the bread of the presence, even though technically it was reserved for the priests, yet by the priest's authority, that bread had been dispensed to those who needed it. And then he makes this astounding statement in verse 5. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Of course he is. Jesus is Lord of all. You know, that's the oldest creed. In the Christian faith, Jesus Curios, Jesus is Lord. The whole Roman world would have said, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. But Christians stood up and said, oh no, there is but one Lord, there is but one Savior, and he is Jesus, and he is Lord of all. And so, of course, he's Lord of the Sabbath. And if he is in your heart, if you've repented and trusted in him, he's Lord of everything. We recognize that he owns everything. 
The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. They thought themselves to be the authority, and yet they were talking with the authority and completely missed it. Oh, how careful we should be and how thankful we should be that he has come into this world to save us even from our own supposed righteousness. We have no righteousness that would commend us to God. Only the righteousness of Jesus, which is imputed to us by faith. And then we read about another event that happened on another Sabbath. We don't know how this falls chronologically. It doesn't matter. That Luke's purpose is that we see how that Jesus, who did not break the law, he did not disregard the commandment concerning the Sabbath. He disregarded man-made rules concerning it. There's all the difference in the world between those notions. He didn't come along and say, oh, just, you know, don't forget about, or rather, forget about the uh, fourth commandment. We don't have to regard that anymore. No, that commandment still is authoritative. It was all of those other regulations that people had added to it that he was speaking against. And so on this occasion, as we see, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching. Remember, that's what he came to do. He was teaching. So the miracles and signs that he performed always happened in the context of that greater cause. Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we see that he performed miracles out of love. To validate his identity and that others might visualize what he was proclaiming. And so as he sees the man with a withered hand, he discerns the need and heals him. Now that, again, is reason to rejoice. Here is a man who had not the use of that hand for only the Lord knows how long. His right hand, presumably the one that he needed the most. And so Jesus, in love, looks on him with the need and meets that need. The man didn't even ask to be healed. Did you note that? It's extraordinary. And yet, in contrast, again, there are those who were there for the purpose of not learning from him, but trying to entrap him. And it reminds us that a mere interest in the Lord without having a loving trust in the Lord is a self-serving religion. All kinds of people are interested in Jesus. They're more interested in telling us who he's not, supposedly, than who he is. And there's all sorts of documentaries that litter the on-demand world out there that you can watch, produced by various people, who will tell you who Jesus is based on their own supposed study and who he's not based on their own supposed study. And they don't have a clue about who Jesus really is. Just because someone is interested in the things of the Lord doesn't mean that he necessarily knows the Lord. And that's a warning to all of us. Those of us who have gotten up and we're here on a Sunday morning, you say, preacher, why are you talking to us? We got up and got ready and we're in church. But yes, why are you here? Is it out of a genuine love for the Lord because you delight yourself in him? Or are you just trying to keep some rules that have been with you from childhood? Think about it. Coming out of gratitude and thanksgiving and worshiping the Lord for all that he's done for us. Oh, there's the motivation. We love him because he first loved us. So be careful. They were there so that they might find a reason to accuse him. You know, somebody could be looking at that and saying, oh, wow, attendance is great. Look at these religious people that are here today. We're doing really good. But they weren't there for the right reason. And further... 
Not only were they trying to catch Jesus, but they had a total disregard for this man who had a withered hand. Not one of them, or at least it's not recorded, not one of them expressed any concern whatsoever. So in disregard of his obvious need, the Pharisees focused on finding fault with Jesus rather than rejoice over the man's great victory when he was healed. No indication that anybody said, wow, praise God. They were filled with hate and fury. And it's a reminder to all of us that winning an argument was more important to them than meeting a need. How many people out there in the blogosphere, social media, are simply trying to score points by coming out ahead in an argument rather than winning the person who's on the other side of the discussion? How many of us need to concern ourselves with that, of loving people who disagree with us rather than trying to pound it into them? Yes, Jesus is the Savior, and the Bible is true. I believe that with all of my heart. When I assumed those ordination vows 30 years ago, I pray that God, by his grace, will enable me to keep them. That I will continue to stand for this gospel of grace, whatever opposition or persecution may arise. I pray that I will be loving toward those who are lost and who are in need. And those who had focused on the things of Scripture and supposedly on the things of the Lord had lost focus on the people in need. You see, as they had their evidence, they caught him. See, he healed on the Sabbath. Jesus was mindful of what they were thinking. He doesn't say they said this. Jesus just simply knew they were thinking it, being the Son of Man, God in the flesh that he is. He discerned that as the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he threw it back at them. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? I doubt they had ever even considered that aspect of the question. So focused were they on all the things that you weren't supposed to do, they'd fail to consider just what we ought to do. One of the things we ought to do is what we're doing right now, is worshiping the Lord. There are other ways to consider how that we might serve him in this life. You know, my vision, my dream, my hope for this congregation is that as we gather together for worship and then as we disperse, that we'll be the church out there every bit as much as we are in here. That by loving our neighbors, by loving family members, by praying for them, by serving them, by seeking to meet their needs, other people will experience, will encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ by what they see in us. Yes, we gather for Bible studies and fellowship groups and all the kinds of things that churches do in order to, to serve the Lord together. But my hope is, is that when we go forth from here, that we serve him in such a way that he's glorified out there. Just as we seek to glorify him here. But one other principle, and I've got to close, because you've got a Bible class and we need to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So let me make this point. Notice that at the end of this, nobody's rejoicing over this dear soul who has a restored hand. A miracle has taken place. The power of God has been manifested. He has complete use of that hand. That ought to be amazing. Somebody in the Greek should have said, wow. But instead, they were filled with fury 
and discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Unbelievers with conflicting motives will quickly unify in opposition to the Lord and his work. It was true then, it's just as true now. We should not be caught by surprise when we see people who are vehemently opposed to the things of the Lord and to his church. We serve a risen Savior and we have a real enemy, our adversary who is seeking to destroy. Being thus filled with fury, they discussed with one another, not in light of this glorious miracle, saying, wow, you know, we really need to listen to this guy. But rather, what are we going to do to him? And Mark gives us further insight in chapter 3, verse 6 of his gospel account, that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, why is that significant? Listen, the Pharisees were saw themselves as being devoted to the Lord God. The Herodians wanted nothing to do with God. They were on the other end of the political and ideological spectrum from the Pharisees altogether. And there was nothing on earth that possibly could unite them in a common cause except Jesus. And so we see, even in our own generation, religious people uniting with the most unreligious people because the uniting factor is Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace. I don't have time to give you examples. I'm just pitching that out there. But you watch and you listen and you read and you tell me if it's not true. So we shouldn't be caught by surprise because Jesus Christ is God's gift to the world and the means by which sinners are saved. And I would suggest to you that one of the indicators of the truth of that statement is the opposition that is allied against him. Somebody said, if, uh, you know, Satan's not bothering you, then perhaps you're not a threat to him. We, uh, Friday, I was in my office and Kathy called and told me our dog had eaten rat poison. Now, I'll get to the end of the story. She's fine. But she ate, apparently, some stuff put out for rodents that was designed to kill them. You know, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what have we done? There were a number of things that happened this week. And I'm not suggesting that was necessarily a satanic attack. That's just a dog doing what dogs do. Got her to the vet, called poison control. She's fine. But things happen. Opposition arises. Things far more serious than that. And we see a world out there united against the church, at least in our culture, while the gospel is spreading like wildfire in other parts of the world. We see our culture has educated itself beyond its intelligence, and supposedly we know better. As if we're going to fix the mess we're in. Jesus came to fix the mess. We need to stop trusting in our own designs. Repent and trust in the Savior. And so we come to this table of the Lord Jesus today, mindful that he is that means of rescue. And so we rejoice in him. He is the worker of miracles. And the greatest of miracles was when he came forth from the grave, demonstrating that victory that was purchased for us. And so we celebrate him. and Let us rejoice in him and think of how, inasmuch as he has given his life for us, how we have the privilege of yielding ourselves to serve him and love him and proclaim him. 
whoever or whatever may be in opposition, give thanks that God through Christ has given us the victory. A victory that will be realized in due time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, for all of your blessings and the manifestation of your grace so perfectly demonstrated in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, including Lord of the Sabbath. And on this Lord's Day, this first day of the week, in recognition of his victory, of his indestructible life, this Savior, we ask you now to bless us as we come together and commune with one another by means of eating bread and drinking from the cup. May we proclaim Jesus to the world that watches that they will know what we are for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus...